Well, amen. Hey, it's great to see you this morning. Did y'all enjoy that extra hour of sleep? <clears throat> I didn't. I uh, watched football a little later than normal. I just took an extra hour to watch football. I'm just confessing. Uh, hope you're doing well this morning. Uh, I'm Dwayne Mercer. I'm the senior pastor over at the church. And come over here once in a while. I used to come over here a lot more. But don't you think Doug Osborne is doing a great job? No? And uh, that's all I came to say. <laughs> Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians, and uh, we're going to continue our study there. Next week's going to be a really, really good week. Doug's going to be back in the pulpit, and I'm going to be over there at uh, the Oviedo campus, and we're going to be talking about the second coming of Christ, all right? Isn't that great? And, uh, uh, you know, if a lot can happen next week, right? So if Jesus comes back before the next week, I've asked Don Jacobs to take charge of the service, and he's agreed to do that. <clears throat> Actually, if I offered that to Brother Herb, I, I don't know whether he would have taken that or not. But First Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to get look at asking the question, what really pleases God? You know, in, a, um, in our modern society, and certainly there's reasons for it, we do not preach, and we sort of cower away from preaching about the do's and the don'ts, because we say that that's not what our religion, our faith is all about. Our faith is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit lives within us. The Holy Spirit is to guide us to all truth. And so we think to ourselves, we don't want to, we're, we're really going against the legalism of the past where it says this is your list of do's of how you appease God or please God. And if you do these things and don't do these things, especially don't do these things, right? Don't do these things, then you're going to be okay. And we've gone away from that, but yet I have a ruler in my life. And my ruler is Jesus Christ. He's the Lord of my life. And we've been talking about that a lot during the last few years. And we've been talking about if Jesus Christ, well, if Jesus Christ is my ruler, then a ruler has rules, right? I mean, that stands to reason. And the Bible does have certain things that we need to do in order to please God, in order also to be better off in this life and to treat our fellow man right. Now, in in our, our campus, what I've been concentrating on is just simply saying this. I've been saying, look, there's churches out there that are, they call themselves attractional churches. I'm not putting them down. I know why they're doing it. They, they're doing it to reach people for Jesus, and that's what we want to do, right? Right, okay. Five of you want to do that. That's good. That's a good start. Um, but we want to do that, and so they say what we want to do is make things so friendly and, and the music so good, preaching so good, that you'll want to go out and invite your friends. Nothing wrong with that. But I believe what we need to be doing is not only leading people to Jesus Christ, which we do, but also helping you grow in the Christian life. That when you understand what the Christian life is all about, and you are the, the branches, that Jesus is the vine, and you are the branches, and you're bearing fruit, you go out into the world, and people are going to see the difference in your life, and you're going to become the ministry of attraction. Now, in order to do that, you really got to know what, what God wants you to do. And in this passage... As he's uh, talking to the church at uh, Thessalonica, if you remember, he was there for three weeks, and that's it. He was there for three weeks, but boy, he must have taught them a whole bunch because right now he makes the transition from chapter 1, 2, and 3 where he's talking about the greatness and, and wonderful faith and love of the church at Thessalonica to say, I want to remind you of certain things that I taught you because these things are very, very important if we're going to please God and be an attraction to the world. In fact, look in verse 1. He says, finally, by, by the way, you know, that's what preachers say, right? Finally, 
You know what that means, right? Nothing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you want to walk and to please God. Now, the motivation behind this is to please God. But then look in verse 12. So that, there's a reason that we'll come back to this at the very end of the message. So that you may walk properly before outsiders. It's talking about the world. It's talking about that being attraction to the world. So he said, I'm going to give you three things to do here in just a minute. And if you do these three things, you're going to please God more, and you're going to be more of attraction to the people outside the walls. And one of those is kind of a controversial thing. Uh, and for me, in my background, a little, little challenging to preach on, all right? And so let's get to them. I'm going to look at three things. The principle, the, pra- the practice is going to have those three things, and then finally, the purpose. He says, finally, and really this means not, I'm going to conclude. It means, but now. But now that I've talked to you about the first three things, first three chapters, and he says, look, you're, you're running a great race, all right? And now he's about to get into some stuff that he's going to remind them that they're already doing. He's not saying you're not doing these things, and therefore, you know, you're sinners, and, and therefore you need to repent. And how many, let me ask you this, how many of you have ever seen a t-ball game? You've either coached it, your kids played in it, and they don't know what they're doing, right? I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the coaches, no, I'm talking about the players, they, I, I, I've coached t-ball with two of my kids, and they'll hit the ball. Those kids will hit the ball, and you're like, run, run, run. Tell me. Let me hear it. Let me hear it. Run, run, run. Now, there, what, what happens to that kid? He throws down his bat, and he takes off to first base with the biggest grin on his face, right? He's, done something, he's doing something good. He gets to first base, and what do you say? Run. Just keep running. And he runs to second. He runs to third. He finally runs home. Big smile on his face. He, you know, he made an out, but it doesn't matter. You know, he crossed home plate. He's feeling real good about himself. Here's, now, I've never, I've never met one player when I think about it that goes to first base, crosses his arms, and says, wait a minute, you're yelling at me to go keep running? I didn't do something good? Did I, did I not, was I not supposed to run to first base? No, Paul is saying, look, you're running to first base. That's great. You're rounding first. Go to second. Go to third. Keep running. That's what he's saying. But now he says, you know, finally, I'm going to talk, t- tell you about some instruction. And he says, I want you to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Just keep running. And you know what instruction, that's marching orders, we gave you through the Lord Jesus. He's saying, look, I've instructed you, and the key is this. The key is, he's saying, it's obedience. Obedience to God. First Samuel tells us, has the Lord as great a delight and burnt offerings and sacrifices as he in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. Saying this, look, sacrifices, not a terrible thing. They did sacrificing all in the Old Testament. It was only outside. And sacrifices, think about it for just a moment, were there to appease God. And sometimes in our legalism, that's what we're trying to do. When we just do things on the outside and they're not coming from the heart, then what we're saying is I'm trying to just get God off my case. I'm trying to please him and appease him in such a way that his wrath won't come down on me. I'm trying to appease him in such a way that I'm going to make it to heaven. And, and Paul says that's not the way to go. And that is legalism. You know, you can ride a, ride a horse, you can fall off two ways. You can fall off to the right, you can fall off into legalism. And legalism, all it is, is adding to the Bible. People say, well, I... You know, if I obey the Bible, that's just legalism. No, no, that's obedience to God. Legalism is when you add to the Bible. It's like adding 
uh, a circle, like a, like a guardrail. And I believe in guardrails in our life. I believe in doing certain things so you don't fall into sin. I, I do believe that. I have those in my own life as well. But when you have guardrail, and you think, hmm, I better have another guardrail, and another one, and another one, and this, this is the sin, but then all of a sudden you think crossing and breaking one of your guardrails is the sin, and it's not. And then you say to everybody else, if you go past this guardrail, this fifth guardrail over here, and you do this, you're in sin. They're not in sin. The Bible never says anything about that. No, but the obedience, the key is the obedience to what God wants you to do in order to please him in order to be good for yourself and good for others as well. But there's another way you can fall off a horse too, and that's in license. You know, we sing all the time, we're free, we're free, we're free. What does that mean? It doesn't mean to be free to do anything you want to do. It means you're free from the shackles of addictions and sins in your life. So we look at, first of all, the principle. Then I need to get very quickly into the practice of things because I'm going to spend a few minutes here. First of all, there's moral rightness. He says, I want you to do three things here. Concentrate on three things that we taught you during those three weeks. Verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That means to be set apart, okay, a process of setting you apart and making you more holy. He says, that's what I want you to do. And he says that you, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body. You know, that's the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, self-control. And he says, in holiness, in honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles. And those were the people, Gentiles, is just a general uh, expression of all the Roman Empire that did not know Christ, who did not know God. Let's stop there for just a minute. He says, now look, the, the passion of the lust of the Gentiles is there. Rome was a beast at heart, and no one had lower sexual mores than the the nation of Rome. In fact, in the church at Thessalonica, and and believe me, this is not not something, you know, I'm preaching about this and somebody's going to get maybe all offended because I'm I'm, I'm preaching on it and mentioning sex in the Bible or sex in in the pulpit and things like that. And let me say this, my background is, this is not not a comfort zone for me, all right? My my, uh, parents never even watched Three's Company, you know? Uh, I mean, it was Andy Griffith you know, and, and all that. We never mentioned it in, in church. But so, I, but I'm not so much concerned about that. But as I go through this, I want you to hang with me because some of you have already crossed some lines and you've already dealt with that in the past. I want you to leave that in the past. And I want you to g- give you some new information that's going to help you in the future. But he says in this background, the, th- the people, men at Thessalonica, they had, they had a wife, which all brought their leg- legitimate children into the world. They had a mistress, usually, and that was more, especially if they were rich, and that was more of a companion, but they also, there were sexual relations there. They had a concubine and and, and prostitutes. It was everywhere. Now, evidently, since he's not rebuking them, you see people and you think, some of you men think, wow, you know, he really had it made. They had it so made they were coming out of that into knowing Jesus Christ. They were coming out of that lifestyle by the droves and coming to know Christ even when the apostles weren't even there. And so we see the background here, but then I want you to notice that in this passage, we can identify with that today. We can see in our society that we are pleasure-oriented. And I'm not, notice I didn't say sexually oriented. We are pleasure-oriented. 
That's why we have an opioid addiction uh, problem. That's why we have um, uh, people wanting to legalize marijuana. That's why we have one out of seven people in the United States addicted to alcohol in some way. We are a pleasure-oriented people. But in that pleasure is the sexual orientation that we have. Think about for, with me for just a minute. Pornography on the Internet is just an epidemic proportion. I mean, you've got, you know, I don't want to put down ministers here just as a bad example, but you, you probably have a youth minister that's looking at pornography on his smartphone, and then, and then an hour later he's reading scripture from it to a youth group. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff and rot going on in that. Then you, you also have all over television, all over the Internet, all over in the movies that we've never been faced with before. And you think about the problems we have in America today. Now, I know that we have disagreements and we're divided over the immigration problem, but really when we analyze that, that's kind of late coming in the argument. And in fact, it's probably more, a lot more about votes than, than a lot of things. But the two areas that divide our country right down the middle have to do with sex. The gay and lesbian movement, and even more so, abortion. It has divided our country since 1979 and still dividing it today. It's all about, and people ask, even an argument, you, you look at news programs, and they're almost asking like, yeah, but what about sex? What about my sexual orientation? What about my sexual needs? What about this? What about that? What, what, about, what, about, the, what about that? And so we are preoccupied with it in our society. And I'm going to state something here that may be surprising to some people here. But here's what it says. Abstain. Abstain means not to do it. And it means, it doesn't mean don't have sex. It means do not participate in sexual immorality. It comes from the word, uh, immorality comes from the word porneia. In the original language, it means anything outside, any sex outside of marriage. You say, wow, I didn't know anybody believed that anymore. Well, let me just say this. Down through the centuries, the four major religions in the world, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, all four down through the centuries have all believed the same thing of what I just said. All four of them. You read history. It is historical that people of faith believe that in every single faith and religion. Now, one of the problems we have, again, we can fall off the horse on either side of things and say, well, you know, the promiscuity or, or legal or, or the fact that you, you're, you're looking upon um, uh, sex as something dirty and disgusting. And a lot of people in church do that. You know, they think to themselves, well, how dare you mention that in church? And yet, if, if we ever preach through the book of Song, Song of Solomon, that's what that's about. It's about the beautiful relationship between a man and a woman. If you look, and I know that I'm going to get, you know, keep your, if you've got any disagreement about this at all, just write to Doug uh, about that. <laughs> but here's the thing. We, we go around it, and I go around it. Man, I don't say this at Christmas. But when you think about the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary, it has sexual connotations there. I don't care how you look at it. It does. And so it's in the Bible, and it's something beautiful in the Bible. But, but society, our culture, has made it to the negative. So here's, here's what it's saying, real quickly. He says, for your sanctification. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. Sex is going to be something that's going to help make you holy. That's what he's saying. Oh, my goodness. That can't be. But then we read on in verse 4. 
that each, that, there's a, there's a clause here, that each one of you know how to control his own body because if you don't control your own body, what's going to happen, you don't have self-control. That, just like the, uh, the people in the Romans day, that the, the sexual moray then is going to spread and it won't be just to one person. He says, you ought to do this in holiness and honor. What in the world could it mean by that? Sanctification, holiness, same thing, basically, and honor. Because sex in the Bible is a picture of physical and spiritual oneness. Now, here's what the Bible teaches as a whole. From Genesis, Paul's writing is in Ephesians 5. Here's what it's teaching. He's saying, look, when you, when you get involved in the physical, there's something that ought to precede that, and that is an involvement of the heart. The heart and the body, hand in hand, with one another. If you miss that, you'll never be fulfilled in this. There's always going to be stress in your life. There's always going to be a moral breakdown in your heart. There's always going to be a moral breakdown of society. There's always going to be somebody looking at you and saying, hey, you're just like us because you're kind of doing this out of your own needs. Sex was, was meant to say, I, I am not, first and foremost, meeting a need of my heart. I'm giving you my heart that I would meet a need in your life. And when the heart is opened up, that's when, after that, with the commitment, that's when the sex comes along. And that's when it's right with God. And anything less than that, Anything less than that, you can say, well, you know, my goodness, you know, I can't believe you're saying that, but look in verse, look in verse uh, uh, 6, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all these things, and he told you beforehand. Look in verse 8, therefore, whoever disregards this doesn't disregard man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So here's what happens. Here's what happens. When we have sex outside of marriage, what happens is, we defraud the person that we're having sex with. Somebody says, well, you know, I, I love you. I want to be committed to you. And, and, and they look at you and say, well, are you willing to marry me? Well, well, no, not yet. Well, then you're not committed to me. You're not giving me your heart. And so it defrauds the person that you're involved with. It defrauds you. What happens to your life is that the moral fiber in your life begins to dilute. I uh, used to go to the University of, uh, well, a local university here in the Southeast. And um, there I was, I had a lot of friends that were uh, involved in all kinds of things. You know, you live in a dorm, you live in different places. And, and um, I befriended these, these, these young guys and, and all. And one of them said to me, David said to me one time, and boy, he was a real party animal. And he said, Mercer, that's just what he called me, you know. We always call one another last names. He said, Mercer, I tell you what, when I get to 30 years old, he's about 25 at the time, an eternal student, you know what I'm saying? And uh, still working on his bachelor's at 25. But anyway, he was, um, he said, when I turn 30, I'm going to give my heart to Jesus. And I said, David, by the time you turn 30, you're going to be changed so much on the inside. I'm not even sure you're going to want Jesus. You see, it, it tears something away. But then also our witness to the rest of the world, the attraction to the rest of the world. It says down here, so that outsiders are going to look in a different way to you. When, when you're outside and you're operating on an unfulfilled manner and seeking out different partners and trying to find something that you're looking, you say, well, you know, their life's just like mine. Why should I follow Jesus? They may not even judge you. It has nothing to do maybe with it. 
But they look at you and say, you know, there's no difference. There's no difference between your life and mine. And you're not, you're not being fulfilled in that kind of relationship either. And they're, they're looking, the one thing they're looking for, do you know a Jesus that can help me? Do you know a Jesus that can really help me? And they're looking at your life and hoping that you are. You are that answer for their life. Well, notice it says in honor. It means to, uh, to build up. And so when you have sex within the marriage, it says, I'm committed. My heart, my heart is yours. My heart is yours. You humanize them. Think with me for just a moment. They know that you're, spe- you're just special to their life. They've given their, their all to you. And then the outside physical expression is an expression of the inside heart. And there's a spiritual oneness there. There's an honor there. Whether it's men or women, you feel humanized. You feel honored in the relationship. Well, I want you to notice that he goes on to say in verse 6, he says, you're going to wrong your brother. Here's another thing that happens. Whoever, if there's an adulterous relationship, you can have all the excuses you want, but the, the, the person that's involved person that's not involved, I should say, the husband or wife that we call, quote unquote, the innocent party is going to be devastated, really hurt. Got a letter from somebody in the past, uh, not too long ago, and uh, just talking about how her husband, who I knew back in college, had left her and uh, for her best friend. Fifteen years later, I hear from her, she's still, still reeling over it. It hurts. It hurts people all around. So, you look at it, the fidelity of marriage. But then the next two things I want to look at, and I know that's enough for you today, right? I mean, you've had enough. Please, please, I've had enough. But real quickly, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed in what, what you are doing and all the brothers throughout Macedonia, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Keep running around the bases. He says, you're loving one another. I, I believe that you're loving one another here. I hear great reports from Doug. I hear about ministry going on, different things happening, and uh, we, we're, we're going, we're running around the bases, and we just keep going, and so love means to serve others. I want you to look lastly, however, because I do want to get to this, in diligent work. He says three things. The third thing is diligent work. He says in verse 11, and to aspire to live quietly and to remind, to mind your own affairs. In other words, you know, sometimes we're kind of busybodies. Why? Well, we don't work. He says, to work with your hands as we instructed you. Work. You know, sometimes we, we talk about work, but we talk about it in the sense of serving God in the church. Here it talks about that you and I can be fulfilled in our work because it's a stewardship of God that we've been, we have 86,000 400 seconds in a day. I think it's a day. What, do you, what are we doing with that? That's work. It's school. What is our attitudes toward others? What are people's attitudes toward you? How does that even affect our witness? First of all, there, there was a book put out years ago, Why Work? And in this, a doctor made the observation that all of his life, all of his life, he had uh, observed that most people either work for money or for, for success. One of those two. And he said it left them unfulfilled. He said during World War II, and this book was written right after World War II, he said the first time he's ever seen 
people come together for a common cause. And it wasn't about money. And it wasn't about just success. It was for a why, a real common cause. And as we look at this passage, and he says, why work? Why do we do that? Why are you doing what you're doing? Now, in the Bible, it explains to us that we are to work with the idea of having just one boss. Now, what if your boss is hanging over your shoulder the whole time? Well, he is. It's God. And so in order for work to be fulfilling, let me, let me give you a few things the Bible teaches. This is being the will of God. It says all that already alludes to that already in the, in the passage previous. Do the will of God. What, what is fitting in your life? You know, 70% of the people surveyed said that they don't like the work that they're doing. What happens? Well, they get out of school, high school, college, and they get a, the first job that comes along. They got to make a living for the family, right? So you make a living for your family, and then you get promoted. That's a good thing, right? Get a raise, and then you get promoted again. You get another raise, and you get promoted. And pretty soon you think, I can't change jobs. I hate my job, but I can't change what I want to do. I can't afford it. 70%. Do something that's fitting, that fits you in order to be fulfilled in your job. But also do it as unto the Lord. How does that affect outsiders? Okay. I'll give you an example. I, I worked at Westinghouse as a, day, as a laborer, summer laborer, uh, back when I was in college. And I, I was working on an assembly line, and I would have to do the same two jobs. I'd go from this one to this one, this one to this one. Every half day I, I would change. Everybody else would rotate. And so I got a chance to share Christ with every single person in that place really several times. And the first time around, the whole thing was everybody would say the same thing. They, I mean, they weren't looking for an excuse not to listen, right? And so, you know, uh, I appreciate what you're saying. And as far as I know and know about you, you, you're living it. But see that guy over there? I said, yeah, I see him. See, he didn't do his job. He claimed he talks about Jesus all the time, talks about church all the time, inviting people to church all the time. And we, he leaves his job, and we have to do his job in order to do ours. See, they had to work harder. No testimony there. When we don't do our job, somebody else is going to have to pick up the slack in order to get the job done. And so you find here that he's saying, look, don't, don't do that. You, you need to have, you need to do something that fits. You need to do it as unto the Lord. And yes, you do want results, but you don't live for them. You don't live for them. I remember Eric Lydell, and uh, he was in the uh, 1924 Summer Olympics, and a movie was made af- out of that called Chariots of Fire. And in that movie, he was supposed to be a, a missionary to China, and that's what he was studying for. But he was also running in the 1924 Olympics and actually won, won a gold medal. His, uh, his sister was talking to him. He said, Eric, what are you doing with your life? I mean, here you are running and running. You should be preparing for the mission field. And he said, look, God has called me to China, and I'm going to China. But God has also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Now, Doug, some people ask us, why do you, why do you guys preach so long? Now, nobody's ever asked you that, I know. And nobody's ever asked me that. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. So, anyway, why do we do that? Well, I tell you. I believe that the primary reason is this. When I open up God's word and I'm, I'm preaching God's word, 
I feel his pleasure. I do. I feel, even right now, his pleasure in my life. And when you do what God wants you to do, when you're involved in doing it all for the Lord and all in and do the very best you can, you're going to feel his pleasure. So you see, when we're talking about the do's and don'ts, it's not about, it's about a relationship with God, but a ruler like Jesus has rules. And for us to say, oh, I'm not going to have to obey God because that's just legalism. No, it's not. God has rules. And he says, this is how you please me. And he has rules to help you. He has rules to please him. And he has rules, those same, same rules, also is a benefit to those outside these walls so they would come to know Jesus just like you know him. Well, do you know him today? You know, one of the things that I realized I didn't preach about the cross today, I didn't preach about how Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that God's original design for you was to have fellowship with you, to love you, to be in a relationship with you. Sin has marred that. Sin has taken us away from God. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. It was the cross of Jesus Christ who paid the price for your sins on the cross. And all we have to do is receive him. Receive him as the Holy Spirit of God, his spirit, Christ's spirit, will come into our heart and make the difference in our life. And it, won't be, it won't be a bunch of do's and don'ts anymore. It'll be, God, I feel your pleasure. What would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? Would you like a life like that? With heads bowed and eyes closed. If that's the cry of your heart today, if you would like to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I would like to pray this prayer with you right now. And you can pray it silently with me as I pray out loud. And uh, it goes like this. Lord God, thank you for loving me. Thank you that your design for my life was to be close to you and to feel your pleasure. God, I know sin has marred that, and we live in a broken world because of that. So I lay down my broken heart to you and my broken life, and I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I ask you to come into my life and bring me back to the original design of following you, loving you, you loving me, and having that relationship. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Doug. You want to stand with me? Everybody stand with me. <clears throat> you know, oftentimes, as pastor was talking, I thought, you know, for many believers, there's a moment where we go, you know, I know I'm following Christ, but what does it mean to really live a life that pleases him? And we talked about that today, right? I mean, the passage, a powerful passage, the way, the way we live that pleases God is we abstain from sexual morality. Now, he defined it a lot of ways there. You need to find it for you today. Maybe there's some things you're wrestling with. Maybe it's the lust of your eyes. Maybe it's the lust of your, of your heart. I don't know what it is, but there's something maybe you're wrestling with there. He says abstain that. In fact, Scripture says in verse 7, he's not called us to a life of impurity, but to a life of holiness. Holiness means to be set apart. And maybe you're wrestling with that today. He says, you know, if you want to live a life to please God, not just, you know, flee from and abstain from sexual morality, but love one another. That's what last week was all about, wasn't it? Us loving each other. And then he says, in your work. And you may have never thought about it this way, but Pastor was alluding to it as this, is that where you work at, your place of work, that is your platform. 
that is a place that God has positioned you to be the light of Christ. Now, here's one thing I love that he talked about is this. In the very last verse, that there's a lost world. And I said it every week, I say the same thing. The reason it's important for us to live for Christ is because there's a lost world that's what? Watching. Amen? Come on, amen? You may not believe it, but they are. And there's a lost world that's waiting to see how we're going to respond. But most importantly, there's a lost world wanting for people to be authentic. And if you're a follower of Jesus today and you're wrestling with living a life pleasing to God after I pray for us, I invite you to come to this altar, these these rugs, and to kneel down and before God and, and just say, God, there's some areas. Maybe it's not immorality. Maybe it's not work. Maybe it's not loving you or loving people. Maybe there's some other areas of my life that I know I'm not pleasing you, but God, today I want that to change because there is a lost world that's watching my life. There's a lost world wanting me to be real so they can see the true Jesus. And if you're wrestling with that, I, this altar is going to be open for you. But ultimately, the way you can please God is by surrendering your life to him. Maybe you've never made that decision, and you prayed that a while ago. A while ago, you confessed it and said, Lord, I need you. I'm going to be standing right down here. I would love to talk to you more about it. So I'm going to ask you one more time. If you just close your eyes and bow your heads, and we're going to pray. And as I say amen, this altar is open. God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for this passage. What a powerful passage. As Paul just simply tells us, if you want to live a life that is honoring and pleasing to the Lord, here it is. It's about abstaining from the sexual morality that is invading our culture and invading our homes and invading our minds to abstain, to flee, to get away from it. And maybe there's some people wrestling with that today, Lord, or maybe they're wrestling with genuinely loving one another. They've been hurt too many times and they're struggling. Or maybe today they've not viewed their workplace as their platform to share Christ. God, I pray first of all for every believer in the room that we would ask a simple question. Are we living our lives to truly please you? And if not, may we fall on our face today. If not, may we come to this altar and to say, Lord, would you change something in me? Would you wreck something in me? God, would you, would you move something in me Because a believer, I want to live to please you and to bring glory to your name. And then, Lord, I pray for those who don't know you. But they need to understand today the only way they can ultimately please you is by surrendering to you. And if they've never made that decision or if they made it a moment ago, would they just make that declaration public and let let the world know that they're following you? God, I love you, and we need you today. We need your Holy Spirit to just move in our hearts, move into every corner of our heart, even the corners that we try to keep to ourselves, the corners that we try to keep quiet. Would you just move today, Lord? Would your Holy Spirit just fall off fresh on us today? May you challenge us in this moment. For it's in your precious and your Holy Son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you need to come, just come pray. If you need to say, hey, Doug, man, I gave my life to Christ. I'm going to be standing right there, but please don't let this moment go by. Don't don't look at your life and go, you know what? I'm good. Because what do we say about people who say, I'm good? You're not. But maybe you're struggling with something. This altar is open. As God leads you, would you respond?